Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Luke, the first chapter. We're looking this morning at Mary, a model for the ages. We're looking at some individuals involved in the Christmas story starting before the announcement of the birth of Christ with John the Baptist. But uh, we lump it all into this Christmas story. It's like we have the Christmas season. Remember when Christmas season used to start in December? Now it starts like in mid-October, I think, by the way some stores are. Uh, but uh, it, they, we're celebrating the events surrounding the birth of our Savior. And we don't know exactly when he was born. Uh, we just celebrated on December the 25th. And so the early church didn't make a huge deal about when Jesus was born. Their focus was on his death, burial, and resurrection. And honestly, if all they'd done was been born, we wouldn't be talking about him today. But it was his death, burial, and resurrection, the awesome power of God, as Jesus, in human flesh, walked totally yielded to the Holy Spirit, obeyed God in everything, died in our place upon the cross, rose in his own power, and then ascended up to glory, and someday he's going to call us up there to be with him. How cool is that? That's amazing. Uh, so we're going to look at Mary, and some churches really exalt Mary. We talked about that a little uh, on another week when we were talking about Joseph. And, and some people, they, they act like Mary's a perpetual virgin. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I know what church it is. It's on the south side of town. Now, actually, there's four or five different churches, orthodoxy type of churches, that, that consider Mary to be a perpetual virgin. But that's not what the Bible teaches. She was a virgin when she conceived Jesus. And then after Jesus was born, she and her husband had more kids, at least six more, because there were four brothers mentioned by name, and it says sisters. Now, I just spent some time with my sisters. There has to be at least two, right? And that's what I have, two brothers still living and two sisters. And, and so Jesus had at least two sisters and by name, four brothers. So there were at least seven kids in the family. So... Most of us don't have that many in our family unless our name's Gene Polly or something, and then we have like 40 of them. So uh, Gene Polly has more great-grandkids than anybody I know. So that's great. So Mary. We want to understand Mary, but we want to look at Mary not just at, wow, this woman who got to have this baby, but look at her real life. Mary was a woman who lived. She was a woman who had some amazing, wonderful, spectacular things happen in her life. She was a woman who had some incredible heartache in her life. And eventually, she was a woman who died. And so we're not here to venerate Mary. What we want to see is how God worked in Mary and through Mary, because God is always working on you, in you, through you, and for you. We want to see how he did that in the life of Mary. Father, as we look at Mary this morning, help us not to focus on and worship and exalt Mary, but we are here to worship and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. You used Mary to bring him into this world, and so we celebrate that. But our salvation is secured through Christ, not by Mary's intercession, but there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. It's his mediation. He is our Savior. He's the one who died in our place. And so today we ask that we would exalt him, that we would draw closer to you, and that we would learn lessons from the life of Mary that can help us in our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing that we're going to see about Mary in Luke 
chapter 1 is that she was a teenager with high moral standards. Look in chapter 1 and verse number 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. She was a teenager with high moral standards. She kept herself pure and was never involved in any kind of physical intimacy uh, or sexual behavior because she was betrothed and she was honoring the betrothal and she had been an honorable person before her betrothal. So I noticed some are trying to write down every word. I, I can give you notes afterward or email them to you later. Don't focus on writing down everything about Mary because a couple of them are pretty long. And so if you're going to focus on that, you might miss some of the rest. Mary kept things in God's order, abstaining from sexual activity until after she was in a committed marriage relationship. That's what God wants for everyone. Will God forgive sin if people get it in the wrong order? If they truly repent? He will truly forgive. He's an awesome God. But Mary was chosen by God because she did it His way. There were blessings she would have missed if she hadn't done it His way. God's a gracious God. He forgives our sins. And we rejoice in that. But Mary didn't have to have that sin forgiven because she'd honored God in that area of her life. Second thing about Mary is that she was a thinker in an age when women were mostly valued for their ability to bear children and fix meals. That was the value of womanhood in their culture. So look at verse 34. Um, in between verse 26 and verse 34, the angel has told her she's going to conceive. So in verse 34, she says, how can this be since I do not know a man? Since I'm a virgin, how could I possibly have a baby? And then the angel explained to her how it could happen. But she was thinking about it. She was questioning. She wasn't doubting what God said. She was trying to figure out, how is this possible? Now, she also spent some time thinking in other places of Scripture. So mark your spot here and turn to the next chapter. Um, Luke chapter 2 and verse 19 the shepherds had been there and the shepherds had given glory to God and Mary's pondering these things. Verse um, Gen uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So Mary's really deeply thinking this through. Mary's not just like, oh, whatever. You know, no one would call Mary a blonde bimbo. I'm not sure they had blondes in Israel in that day, but they would not have called Mary a bimbo, that's for sure. She was a thinker. She was evaluating. She was trying to figure things out and fit it all together. Have you ever been in a library? Hopefully you have. Hopefully maybe you have one at home. In a library, the books are not just in random order, right? Well, ideally, right? I I was at a friend's house, and his books were in order based on size. So the tallest books, and it went down, and then all of them were in that order. And so when you wanted to look at like a set of commentaries, you'd find one here and one there and one there because they weren't grouped together by theme 
can I say it really bothered me? But it was his house. It was okay with him. But Mary is trying to fit things together. You take what you already know and take what you have learned and you try and fit it together. And that's what Mary's doing. She's pondering, thinking, dwelling upon this. In chapter 2 and verse 33, Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. They marveled about it. They thought about it. They were intrigued by it. Um, the things that Simeon had said about Jesus. So Mary was a thinker in a culture where women were mostly valued for the ability to produce offspring and the ability to produce a good meal. That's not unique to Israel. That's true in a lot of cultures, even in this day and age. There are cultures in the Middle East, uh, according to one really goofy Hollywood movie, that's the way all Greek culture is. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I know that God wants you to be a thinker. Don't just go through life. Think things through. All right, thirdly, Mary chose to obey in faith even when the future seems scary. So back in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, uh, Mary, verse 38, that would probably help, huh? Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now stop and think, what was Mary told? Mary was told, you're going to be a virgin. You're still going to be a virgin, but you're also going to conceive and you're going to bear a child. This has never happened in the history of the world. It's never happened before or since. And this is a unique thing. And Mary doesn't know what it's going to be like. Mary hasn't had any classes to prepare for this. Mary hasn't had any counseling to give her instruction in this process. It's, this is what God's going to do, and you're going to get it. And Mary says, okay, be it to me the way God wants it to be, I will obey. She chose to obey in faith, even when it's, the future seemed a little bit scary. It was uncertain. She didn't know how it would work out. In fact, there's, we looked last week at Joseph, and when Joseph first found out she was expecting, he was certain she'd been unfaithful to him. And he was trying to figure out what to do. And then the angel of the Lord told him, this was of God, and go ahead and marry, marry. And I love saying that, I'm not sure why. But when it comes to obedience, Chuck Swindoll recently wrote, follow the leader. That's what God is saying. You don't have to be smart to be obedient. You don't have to be creative or clever. All you have to do is obey. So her cousin Elizabeth even acknowledged that Mary's obedience and, and her belief in God and her commitment to obey God were directly linked to her blessing by God. Look in chapter 1 and verse 45. Blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Because Mary chose to obey in faith, God blessed and enriched Mary's life. You know, I don't know what it'll all be like in heaven. I know it'll be amazing for all of us. But do you think in heaven Jesus will call Mary mom? I don't know. A unique relationship, unlike anything ever on planet Earth. Mary was greatly blessed. 
A fourth thing, she pointed people to Jesus and encouraged them to follow him. So take your Bible now, please, and turn over to John chapter 7. John chapter 2, how about? Got a wrong note. John chapter 2. And in this story, uh, Jesus is going to turn water into wine. I know a lot of people really stress out over that. Um, Jesus didn't encourage drinking. Um, wine they used in their day helped uh, to purify water. You know, we don't have to use alcohol in the water to purify the water today. We have water purification systems. But uh, Jesus was at a wedding and Jesus did a miracle. And what we're not going to focus on is what Jesus did. We want to look at what Mary said. Okay? In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. And then his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to do, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. And so they got water pitchers and they poured water into them and it turned into fresh wine. Mary said, do whatever Jesus said. That's good counsel. We should do what Jesus said. We should encourage other people to do what Jesus said. We should follow him. And so Mary was pointing people to Jesus. Mary didn't say, hey y'all, I am Mary, mother of the great one. Come and I will tell you what to do. She said, hey you guys, do what he says. And then she kind of stepped out of the picture. Fifth, this is uh, something that should encourage some of you parents. Her kids didn't get along. Her kids didn't get along. Why should that encourage some of you parents? I have no idea. It just kind of popped up. So Sometimes your kids don't get along, right? <laughs> Yesterday and Friday I was with my siblings and my older brother was there. And there was a time when my older brother and I had real animosity toward each other. We hurt each other badly enough to both go to the hospital with broken bones. And... And yet, here we were having dinner together, having a conversation together, and when I left yesterday, we gave each other bear hugs. Um, sometimes your kids who have sibling rivalries, sometimes they outgrow it. Not always, sometimes. But when you follow the Lord, you need to outgrow those animosities. All right, now in this particular instance, in, in the history of my brother and I, there were times he was wrong and I was wrong, and we were both wrong at the same time. But in this situation, Jesus was always right. What would it be like to live with a sibling that was perfect? I mean, imagine, Hunter, if your older sibling was perfect, how challenging that would be, right? <laughs> it, it, would, it, would stand, it would make your behavior look bad all the time, wouldn't it? I mean, if you're there with a perfect kid. But Jesus' brothers, Jesus is now an adult, He's an adult in ministry, and his brothers are making fun of him. So in John chapter 7, and in verse number, we'll begin in verse number 2. John chapter 7, and verse number 2. Now the Jews 
Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. It was time for this great feast, and the Jews would go up to Jerusalem for this feast. So his brothers therefore said to him, now in verse 3, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers did not believe in him. So you have Mary saying to people, do whatever Jesus says, and then you have Mary's other kids, at least the boys. My sisters like to talk about how good they were as compared to the boys when we were growing up. So at least the boys caused problems. And, and the boys are saying, hey, if, if you're the one, go down there and let everybody know. Go down and show it off. Go down and tell the whole world. Jesus then said, my hour has not yet come, but your hour has come already. They needed to trust and believe in him. Thankfully, after his salvation, at least two of those brothers became committed disciples of Jesus Christ and leaders in the early church. But at this point, they're making fun of Jesus. And so Mary has to live with that. Some of you parents have to live with kids who really don't like each other very much. And there's tension and there's anxiety and it bothers you. Mary had to live that way. Mary had that tension in her home. And when Jesus was the perfect teenager, you know, when, when Jesus was 12 years old and, and he had stayed behind at the temple and it took three days to find him and, and then all the siblings, you know, and, and then they hear the story about how Jesus was in the temple impressing all the elders. How would you like to be in Sabbath school with Jesus? Talk about honor student and teacher's pet. I mean, he got every answer right every time. The only answers he got wrong were the ones where the rabbis had it wrong and Jesus corrected them. So her kids had this trouble. Mary was a real person. She lived in a real family with real stresses and distresses. And she had to make meals to feed family of at least seven Back before there were refrigerators and stovetops and microwaves and instant pots and all that stuff. But one of the biggest heartaches Mary had, Luke, I'm sorry, John chapter 19, if you'll turn there. John chapter 19, Mary watched her son die. She watched her son die. I have helped a lot of families when they've lost a loved one and parents when they've lost a son and they all say it's not supposed to be this way. The parents are supposed to die before the son. I had a friend in Tucson. His, his, actually, his son was a friend of mine and his, I had dated one of his granddaughters and I stood with him at his son's gravesite. I put my arm around him. And I said, you lost your granddaughter first. And now you've lost your son. And he said, it's not supposed to be this way. I said, well, not normally, but God's plan in your life is this. And he trusted the Lord. And he knew the Lord. And he had confidence in the Lord. But it still hurts. It's still an agony. And, and his 
granddaughter had died in the hospital and his son had died in the hospital from different diseases. He had cancer. They, but they died in the hospital. They were loved and cared for. But when Mary saw her son die, he died on a cross. And he didn't just die on a cross in silence. He didn't just die on a cross with no noise around. He died on a cross while the people around mocked and laughed and made fun of him and yelled at him. And Mary's standing there watching him die for her sins and your sins and our sins. He paid the penalty for all the sins of all the world. And Mary watched him do it. She heard him say from the cross as he looked down to John, his dearest friend on earth, and he said to John, take care of my mom. He said to his mom, John's now your son. Because at that point, Jesus' brothers weren't believers, and he wanted his mother to be cared for by a believer. She heard a son say from the cross to the thief beside him, today you'll be with me in paradise. She heard her son cry out in agony, My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? Mary endured that as she watched her son die. In John chapter 19 and verse number 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas or Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Mary watched him die. She was a mom watching her son die horrifically. Crucifixion was designed by the Romans to be a brutal, brutal method of execution. And it was designed to be a deterrent to discourage other people from breaking the law and doing wrong. But it was designed to cause the most possible pain before the person died. It wasn't just execution, it was torture. And it was designed that way. But Jesus was so much worse. For the guys beside him, they endured that pain, the nails being pounded through the wrist, through their feet, the beating, the scourging, hanging on the cross, trying to push up to catch a breath and having your raw back rub against that raw wood. They experienced that same pain. But what Jesus experienced was when God the Father poured the wrath of God out on the sins of men and Jesus on the cross bore the penalty for your sins and mine. And for billions and billions of people. And he bore that penalty. So she was there when it all went dark. She was there when he cried out from the darkness about the agony of the Father, God the Father, turning away from God the Son in a way that we can't fully comprehend. But we know it happened because God's Word said so. And then she heard him say, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And then it's like the darkness lifted and the sun shone and she saw him hanging there, limp and lifeless. And she watched a shepherd, not a shepherd, a soldier walk up and thrust a spear in his side 
and the blood and water gush out. She watched him tortured. She watched him die. And she didn't run and intervene and say, my son's truly innocent. He's innocent. He really is. He was. But she knew he had to die for our sins. Turn please to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Mary was faithful to God even after her innocent son suffered a brutal and agonizing death. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you can hear. We'll do a quiz. How many of you have had a friend who either that friend or the family of that friend experienced brutal suffering and that person then turned against God because God allowed that brutal suffering in that friend or in that family. You guys know anybody like that? I, yeah, they, they get mad at God because what God allowed in their life. Mary watched her innocent son die a brutal and agonizing death while being mocked and scorned by the very people he came to save. But she didn't turn her back on God. I don't think Mary fully understood everything because I don't think anybody but Jesus fully understood everything. But Mary didn't give up. She kept serving, choosing to walk in faith again, even when the future seemed scary again. Look in uh, Acts chapter... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm sorry. We're in Acts chapter 1, look in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went into, up into the upper room when where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Kind of sad that her family doesn't come together till after the death of Christ. But Mary is there. In the early church, they're having a prayer meeting time. They're talking to God, and Mary's right there with them. She was faithful to God. She was walking with them. She was praying with them. She was meeting with them. She didn't give up just because life hurt. She stayed faithful. And then later on we read in scripture, and we won't turn to these, but her son James became a leader in the early church. Mary did not, but her son James did. And so in Acts chapter 15, we read about the, they had a council there and they presented and some, you know, they presented different arguments and then James steps up and takes leadership and says, okay guys, here's what we should do. And they all decided that was good wisdom from James and they did it. And we read in Galatians chapter 1 when the apostle Paul had received his revelation directly from God out in the desert 
And then he went down to Jerusalem and he met with the early leaders of the church. And he met with Peter and with James and he talked with them to make sure that what God had revealed to him was consistent with what God was revealing to the other apostles. And, and in uh, Galatians 2.9, it talks about James again. As a leader in the early church, what a blessing for Mary. What a blessing for Mary to now have unity where she and James could pray together where they couldn't before because they were mocking Jesus. But Mary did not become a leader. Mary didn't step up and tell people, I am the mother of the Messiah. Worship him through me. She didn't do that. Nowhere in Scripture does it instruct us to pray to anyone other than the Father in the name of the Son. We call upon God, our Father, in the name of Jesus, His Son, and spiritually, our brother. The churches that teach you need to pray through Mary because she has efficacy with Jesus, they ignore the Word of God. The ones that teach you should pray through this saint or that saint. You need to pray to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And Mary sat and prayed with those people. They prayed with her, not through her. And it was never God's intent that Mary be exalted above anyone. His intent that Mary be honored, not exalted. She was chosen by God. She did a remarkable thing. And God blessed. But she's honored. She's not exalted. In fact, the last thing we'll look at She did not exalt herself, but was active in the early church from the earliest days. Right after the crucifixion, and and they're gathered there together, and they're praying in the early church, and Mary's right with them in the midst. We saw in Acts 1.14. So I said at the beginning, the title was Mary, a model for the ages. Because Mary does the kind of things God wants us to do. He wants us to be honorable. He wants us to be chaste. He wants us to to honor Him with high moral standards. And He wants us to to be thinkers and evaluate things and, and think it through. He wants us to look to the Scripture. He wants us to point people to our Savior. He wants us, even when we suffer, to stay faithful and honor Him. And he wants us to be gathered together with other believers and be part of an assembly worshiping God together. I can't imagine how difficult her life was till after the resurrection. And I really, I mean, if I could go back and live in any time in history, honestly, I don't think I'd want to go back before indoor plumbing. I've... (laughs) visited in places and I've camped in places where they didn't have it and that's just not for me I praise God I live in this day I like having a freezer and I came back last night I opened it up and there was some sugar-free ice cream in there and I pulled out I had a tiny little bowl of it (laughs) yeah God brought us here to talk about ice cream well listen life hurts. It hurts physically. It hurts emotionally. 
life hurts, but God is faithful. And Mary saw that hurt up close and personal, and Mary stayed faithful. And we can too. We're going to sing, Lord, I offer my life. Just a little chorus when it talks about giving ourselves to the Lord because of what He has given to us. When Paul was writing about the churches in Macedonia, he said, they gave generously financially. He said, but, but what they did first, before they gave their offering, they gave themselves to the Lord. What, what a privilege that we have that same opportunity today. So if you're not living for the Lord, today you can decide to change. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, today you can do that. If you're allowing sin in your life, today you can repent. You can change a direction. You're not stuck. God allows repentance and change and growth.